Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Dan Lyman, the editor-in-chief at Borderhawk.News, a correspondent for InfoWars, and today's topic is national and international immigration. We'll get an update on those fronts. Dan Lyman, thank you for joining us today on The Schilling Show Unleashed. Always a pleasure to be with you, Rob. Thank you for having me back. I'd like to start with the U.S. border, which is just unbelievable, and maybe we could start with the numbers. What are the latest numbers? The numbers are, are astounding. The official numbers are astounding. But when we consider that the official numbers probably only tell about half of the story, yeah. if not less than, you know, truly, we are facing an existential crisis. The, the most recent numbers for the month of September were just released. And we eclipsed what they call encounters, which basically means illegal crossings. And illegal crossings basically mean the vast majority of, of these people are, are now in the country. So uh, for the first time ever, we broke 260,000 encounters at the border. So that's just the, the southwest border, and that's just who came in via the Mexican border. Of course, most of these people are not from Mexico, and increasingly, they're not even from this hemisphere. So that's what, what happened uh, last month, essentially. And then on top of that, we have what are called known gotaways, and known gotaways are people who entered the country, they were detected, but they were not stopped and they were not apprehended. So they have a, a variety of different methods for kind of calculating that number. They can see them on cameras or from aerial drones or a variety of other ways. And uh, so they know that they came in the country, but these people came in unchecked, unabated. And then of course we have the unknown gotaways, uh, people who slipped in the country totally uh, undetected. We have no way necessarily of quantifying that number accurately. Elon Musk, actually, who just went down to the border, down to Eagle Pass, to really get an idea of what's going on the ground, talked to, of course, a lot of officials down there, Border Patrol agents, the world's wealthiest man, one of the most prominent men, one of the most famous men on the planet, one of the biggest uh, loudspeakers in front of his mouth. He warned that the number is likely higher than 500,000 enter the country during a one-month span illegally. And that is, as he pointed out, higher than the population of Wyoming. And so you can bet that someone in his position and realizing the firestorm that he would start with, every comment that he makes about the border probably chose the number carefully based on the information that he has. And so I think we can safely assume that it's higher than 500,000. Of course, that doesn't count the additional programs that the Biden administration has been uh, using to bring even more people into the country. They just, they, they're using every method possible. We learned recently that they've flown in over 200,000 people from four different countries in during this year alone, this calendar year, 
um, and they're using taking advantage of what's called the CBP One app, which is Customs and Border Protection's new uh, online app for smartphones, where you can uh, request an asylum appointment and show up at any port of entry, and then have your asylum claim received. And in most cases, you'll be allowed to stay in the country for uh, quite a long period of time until. Your court date is set, and in many cases, that court date could be five to seven years in the future. Um, and so we found out recently that that, uh, that system is being used by people who can afford to just hop on a plane and fly into any of our international airports and show up there. So the numbers are just staggering. Uh, we have refugee resettlement, of course. We have them coming in through the northern border now. Mm. We have them coming in by sea. So the numbers just, they stack up and they stack up and we are really facing, um, you know, the end of the country as we know it, that's for sure. Dan, I want to talk about who's coming over. And I know much of this is unknown because we just can't tell for sure, but we certainly have information. And I specifically would like to talk about uh, terrorists from Middle Eastern countries, perhaps Iran, and also about Chinese who are infiltrating the border. What do we know? They are coming from everywhere. And definitely um, we have the most the highest number of um, people on terror watch lists have been entering under uh, Joe Biden. And of course, that, that's from a variety of different countries. We know that we basically imported 100,000 Afghans at the, the end of the Afghan conflict, the unceremonious uh, end where we just dumped all of our military gear and loaded tens of thousands of people onto planes with basically no vetting and flew them into the country. We know that those people that are, have been dispersed within the country, they stayed at our military bases. And uh, in, in one case, they inflicted over $100 million in damage to a military base in the U.S. while they were staying there. And so uh, many of these people, uh, for all we know, are, are likely tied to terror networks. And then, of course, uh, the Chinese coming in. Actually, we just, pulled, we just picked up an article about uh, Michael Yang, who is one of the most well-known and respected conflict journalists in the world. He has uh, been all over the place. He has contacts all over the place. He speaks a variety of languages. He's reported from many war zones around the world. He's really taken it upon himself to invest his time just in the situation here in the Western Hemisphere. He's traveling everywhere from the U.S. all the way down to the Darien Gap uh, in Panama, where, which is basically the... Um, the, the flow point that not, not really, you could call it a choke point in the past, but at this point it really is just a flow point where people are entering our continent from South America and they are coming from all over the world and they're passing through the Darien Gap in many cases, uh, a very dangerous crossing, very dangerous journey. Although I would imagine it's probably getting a little less dangerous just because there are so many people there and there are now camps and aid stations and many different international organizations are working down there to basically facilitate the flow northbound uh, of illegal migrants from around the world. So in some ways, it's probably getting a little less dangerous just because there's so many people, um, although there are reporters there uh, on a regular basis now who are covering the, the number of dead bodies that, that lie around in the Darien Gap. Um, but I want to go back to my point. Michael Yan uh, has spent a lot of time down there. And uh, he has warned repeatedly about the, the amount of uh, Chinese nationals that are passing through the gap based on his experience and based on translators that he's brought down to the Darien Gap to interview and sort of monitor the flows. He, his opinion is that many of these Chinese making their way north into our nation are, are actually either military or tied to the government in some way. So it looks like 
just one more way that the, the Chinese government is piping their assets into our nation, their human assets. We can only guess what that means for the future. I've found a lot of reports, uh, particularly from Democrats across the country, elected Democrats, complaining about the fentanyl problems very specifically, and yet ignoring the border and never making that a part of the conversation. What should we make of that? We can, of course, uh, we know that fentanyl is just pouring in through the southern border. We know that the Chinese obviously have a major role in that, whether it's providing the raw materials, facilitating other aspects of the production of fentanyl. And then, of course, the cartels play a large role in also uh, pipelining that right into our country. Uh, We know that CBP on a regular basis, literally sometimes on an hourly basis, is seizing enough fentanyl at a time that could take out the population of an entire state in some cases due to overdose. And that happens sometimes multiple times in a day, just at one port of entry on a busy day, Um, but certainly on a daily basis, it just continues pouring into the country. And if anyone has seen any of these unbelievable videos from cities like Philadelphia or Los Angeles, Portland, of what it looks like when, you know, large segments of the population are addicted to opioids, specifically fentanyl, then they know the horrors that this is breathing, not just, not just the people that are dying. Of course, we have more than 100,000 Americans dying every year now from drug overdoses, just the, the destruction of their lives as they head down that tube and then the destruction of their neighborhoods as they lay about or they stand in these unbelievable positions. They look like they're standing question marks. That's what these people uh, start looking like after long-term abuse of these very hard narcotics. It's a blight. It's an eyesore on the nation. And it's also tearing families apart. And in some cases, uh, a lot of people often that, that are exposed to this drug, they had no intention of going anywhere near the drug, whether it's just completely accidental contact or they think that they're taking some other drug that is then laced with fentanyl and a lot of people are uh, dying that way. So you have people uh, who think that they're buying some cocaine and putting that up their nose and then they they, uh, they never wake up because that cocaine was laced with fentanyl or they think they're taking a prescription uh, painkiller. They you know bought up the black market and went to Mexico to purchase and uh, that ends up being laced with fentanyl and they pass away. So Uh, A lot of people have no intention of taking fentanyl or or dying from it. So it's just a compounding issue, and it really is one of the saddest and and most dangerous uh, facing the American public right now. So all of this appears to be uh, very clearly intentional. I don't believe, and I probably imagine the same for you, that Joe Biden is capable of orchestrating this. So who's orchestrating this and to what end? No, certainly not. Although I do want to say a lot of people forget that Joe Biden was absolutely a proponent of everything that is happening right now Mm. back when he had his faculties, which wasn't all that long ago. You can pull up a video. It's made the rounds lately um, because it really is so important to see this all in context. But at a hearing on combating terrorism, it was held at the White House when he was vice president. An interesting tidbit, he's sitting right next to the now head of DHS, Alejandro Mayorkas at the time, Biden says very proudly, soon the United States will will be a majority non-white European, that that day when it comes, he'll be very happy for it. And he says that uh, we need an unrelenting flow of mass migration from essentially from the third world and that it needs to never stop, essentially. And I'm paraphrasing, but some of those words are literally out of his mouth. Mm. 
And so we have to remember that, that Joe Biden has always championed the policies that are being put in place in his name now. But those policies, of course, are being formulated and orchestrated, and implemented by whatever people can debate who they think the shadow government is, whether it's they think that it's Barack Obama or they think that it's a cabal of people, you know, in a in a dark boardroom somewhere at the White House organizing all of this, or if they think it's the entire Democratic Party basically imp- imposing their will under Biden's name on the United States. Um, but then, of course, we can never forget that so many other organizations, international and national, are participating in this this effort, and as they do in other parts of the world. But you have the United Nations uh, is definitely deeply involved in this. They're one of the most, you know, the linchpin of, of what goes on we've actually been reporting this for years at Border Hawk and also at InfoWars is the role that the United Nations plays in all of this. And I'll give you an example. Years back, I was actually the first English language reporter to bring this into the English media. But I was detecting during um, major flows into Europe via the Balkans, which has gone on for many years now, during a surge at that time back in 2018, Croatian police were noticing that the migrants that they were encountering were carrying uh, debit cards that were apparently preloaded with cash. And those debit cards bore the insignia of the United Nations and also of the EU. And they were MasterCard debit cards. And that's basically how they were paying for everything on their route on their way into Europe. And uh, a lot of people often ask, how are these people affording this? Well, that's one way they're affording to uh, pay their way when they're on the road for weeks or months at a time. And so we broke that story at InfoWars Europe, and it went totally viral. And eventually, the Hungarian government actually filed the equivalent of a FOIA with the European Union, asking them about these cards and asking them just how much money had been poured into this program. It turned out the European Union had used tens of millions of euros for this program. And also, we discovered that George Soros had launched a partnership program with MasterCard, a couple of years previous to basically um, they earmarked approximately $500 million in funding to help what they call basically refugees that were in, uh, you know, catastrophic situations, flooding, earthquakes, whatever, and help them as they got themselves back on their feet and maybe made their way to, uh, to another country to escape conflict or the devastation in their homeland. So we have the United Nations has a huge role in this, the international bodies, including the European Union, the usual suspect, George Soros, and that's just one example of many. And to tie that um, back into what's going on in our hemisphere, a couple of years ago, we sent a reporter down to the border in, in Mexico, and uh, his guide was taking him around on the, on the banks of the Rio Grande on the Mexican side and showing him just the, I mean, people have no idea how much garbage, literal garbage there is littering the banks of the Rio Grande and uh, in the garbage is just piles of identification, piles of paperwork, documents, and then also basically these roadmaps is what we call them. But they were provided to the illegals on their way to the U.S. by uh, the United Nations and also by the Red Cross. And we found out that these same debit cards that they had been using in Europe were being used uh, also in our hemisphere. Migrants were uh, turning up at uh, refugee offices, asylum offices, or United Nations offices, and having their debit cards distributed and then topped up with uh, the necessary cash that they needed to get to the next checkpoint on their way. So to answer your question, 
in summary, many organizations, but the United Nations is one of the most egregious offenders. And of course, they are funded in large part. The lion's share comes from U.S. taxpayers. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues with our guest Dan Lyman in just a moment. Shilling Show Unleashed. Shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites, audio and video production, and photography. Shillingshowmedia.com will take your project from conception to completion. Shillingshowmedia.com is reasonably priced and highly professional. Need a website for your business? Visit Shillingshowmedia.com. Need a video created or edited? Visit Shillingshowmedia.com. Have a photography or graphic design project? Visit Shillingshowmedia.com. Shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites, audio and video production, and photography. Visit Shillingshowmedia.com. That's Shillingshowmedia.com. Looking out for us. Rob Schaub. We return with Dan Lyman, the editor-in-chief of BorderHawk.News. We're talking about national and international immigration issues here on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Let's go now to Governor Abbott in Texas. There have been favorable reports of Governor Abbott and his actions. However, I think there's always more than meets the eye. So tell us what's happening in Texas right now. Yeah, Texas is absolutely ground zero for the invasion. Obviously, they have the the largest land border with Mexico of all the states. And, And to be clear, the situation is catastrophic across the southwest border. Arizona has also seen an unbelievable influx on a daily basis uh, of illegal migrants coming in. There's even a lot going on in California, which doesn't get a lot of press. But right now, actually, people will probably some of be some of you will be familiar with the iconic border fence that stretches along the beach in San Diego that goes right into the ocean, and that has been there for many years. It separates essentially San Diego from Tijuana. They're replacing that fence now after many years of sitting there. So now it's basically this kind of chaotic construction site there. And there are videos every day now of illegals. They have found that that is a a weak point now on the border. And they're just running across through the construction site and into the U.S. en masse. And so some of these videos are ridiculous watching, you know, one lone border agent on an ATV trying to prevent 10 men, you know, attacking different points at at the site. And of course, they all make it through. Um, just totally insane. But uh, back to your question, Texas is, of course, ground zero. And uh, really the epicenter is Eagle Pass. And Eagle Pass has been under siege since the beginning of the Biden regime uh, coming into power. But also prior to that, it's just this, it's this weak point um, right across from Piedras Negras, where the, the illegals have been funneling through for quite some time. Abbott has done what many think is a very weak job of fortifying that area, even though they send a lot of assets down there, they send the Texas military, National Guard, they send the, the police. Texas police has really done, I would say, an admirable job of picking up the slack where the federal uh, agencies have abdicated their role and many times sabotaged Texas efforts to secure the border. We see increasing number of disturbing videos of Customs and Border Protection, Border Patrol, Uh, actually cutting up the razor wire that Texas puts on the banks of the Rio. And they go in and they sabotage these fortifications. And then they do that in order to allow uh, illegal migrants to come into the country. Some argue that that's they're obligated to do that under the law to allow these people to come in and claim asylum once they've reached 
U.S. soil, which technically is the midpoint of the Rio Grande, but that's up for debate. Other border agents say they are under no obligation to do any such thing. Abbott has done a better job maybe than, than others at, at attempting some fortification of the border, um, but I don't think he's doing nearly enough. And of course, in Eagle Pass, um, we, like I said, the flow has been endless, but in the past month, it really has exploded. And some will recall seeing a couple of weeks ago, the number of migrants, uh, it's, it's estimated that uh, as many as 10,000 came in in a single day illegally. Um, the number is at least 4,000. And so basically, a lot of these people are making their way often via these trains now, as we've, you know, we've been reporting on the trains for years, but that whole phenomenon has really picked up. Our reporter in Mexico actually, just days before the real explosion in Eagle Pass, was um, warning that he was in Piedras Negras and the amount of people coming in by train had surged and that thousands were amassing in that border town and preparing to make the crossing or making the crossing at night, for instance. He said, by his estimation, around 90% of them were from Venezuela, and many of them were coming with families. We put out that report, and I would say it was no more than three days later, they saw the largest crossing they had ever seen in, in Eagle Pass, and maybe the largest single crossing at the border, at least in recent history, is over 2,200 crossed in a matter of hours into Eagle Pass across the river. And that was really earth-shattering. Um, but then two days later, more than 4,000. And like I said, some estimates place it at 10,000 came across into Eagle Pass. And this really caught the eye of Elon Musk. And um, that's why he went down to the Eagle Pass area to really investigate what was going on. By all estimates, uh, we think that in the month of September, that at minimum 60,000 illegal crossings occurred in Eagle Pass area alone, an average of about 2,000 a day. And of course, in some ways, much higher. So it could be much higher than 60,000 even that came into Eagle Pass just in the month of September alone. You have actually been traveling across the U.S. over the past many months, and you have some observations of something that's uh, positive. I think most people would consider it this way, at least our listeners would. Tell us what you've seen. I am the bearer of bad news in many ways because the news is so bad right now. Observing everything that's going on, whether it's the border, whether it's crime in this country, whether it's you know, economic uh, uncertainty, um, all these issues are compounding and, and things don't look good right now. But I do want to, you know, put a little little white pill on top of the, the, the cake of black pills right now before we depart and give some people a little bit of hope because in these dark times, I think a lot of people are starting to wake up. And I think a lot of people who have been paying attention for a while have been blazing a trail ahead of those who are just starting to get their bearings and starting to understand the predicament that we face. And, and I have been traveling for the last six months, uh, almost solid, uh, departed in late April, early May, and went on just a long trip of the Western U.S., the Mountain West, have spent a lot of time in other parts of the country as well, because I, I'd like to know, you know, where is there to go? A lot of people ask me this yeah. question, where do I go? What do I do? Where do I take my family as things get worse and as yeah. Some people used to think Texas was the place they'd be going from. Maybe it's an improvement from California, but uh, I, I told them, I don't know. Texas is not the place, in my opinion, not when you have millions of unknown people coming uh, directly into the state on a, on a monthly basis, basically, or within a couple months. Um, so I've been on, on a search around the U.S., and I was very encouraged to find that in some pockets of the country, people really are gathering 
and they're moving their families there with good intentions. And I'll give you an example. Some of your listeners may be familiar with the concept of the American Redoubt. That's up in the Mountain West in the states of uh, Idaho and Montana, you know, parts of Washington and Oregon, although that's up for debate whether or not those are even viable places. But the American Redoubt is, is basically it's a concept. It's, it's that Americans have had for a while and they've been going to that area to basically find shelter, to find sanctuaries from the madness and to be around people who are like-minded. So I actually lived up in North Idaho about 10 years ago and uh, it was, was a lovely place, fantastic. And, you, and I was around a lot of conservative people, but there weren't a lot of people up there, just the population was quite low. And uh, I probably would have stayed there, but ended up moving abroad, moved over to Iceland. I couldn't pass that opportunity up. So I had to uh, part ways with Idaho and I hadn't been back in quite some time. And this summer, I paid my first visit back there. You know, I was expecting, of course, to, to, to see a lot of changes uh, with the influx of people that have come into the area, people that have fled California, have been fleeing California for a while, but COVID really sped up the reshuffling of, of people in this country and people moving around as no one will be surprised to find. But my main question for people in the area, people in, uh, the area, in, in Western Montana as well, and even in Wyoming and uh, even in South Dakota, my, my main question for all those people was, are things getting better or are they getting worse with all of your new neighbors? Because the, the conception, of course, is that Californians and, and city dwellers and Portland, Portlanders and Seattleites and all that, when they come in, they, they, you know, turn your city blue, turn your town blue. And I was very encouraged to find that they said that the number of people moving in has, of course, been a little overwhelming, but that the majority of them are bringing good values with them and that this concept of the American redoubt, it seems to actually be coming to fruition and it's becoming a haven for, for folks up there. And they think it is the, the reddest, most conservative area of the country now, and that it's only going in a good direction. And that a lot of people that are coming and actually have some means and can participate and contribute in preserving the area politically and also through building up good businesses so I was very encouraged to find that out, that to everyone that I spoke to was optimistic about the transfer of population. And I've, I'm finding that in other parts of the country as well. I'm finding that in Florida, where I live. I'm, I found that recently in West Virginia. People are moving to West Virginia, of all places, which has seen one of the most stunning losses of population in the country of all states. Loss of, of business, of, uh, of, of young people, uh, brain drain. There are people coming back into the state now. They're coming there for a bit of sanity to get away from the neighboring states. I encourage any of your listeners, listeners who are uh, despondent and maybe live in a blue state or a blue city or just not happy with where they live. I mean, we're watching a lot of places change before our very eyes. I, I encourage them to look for somewhere else because uh, the most important thing you can do is get your family and yourself to a, a safer, more secure area as far away from these insane policies as possible and be around like-minded people, build community, and uh, prepare for a much bumpier ride ahead. But that, that op those options are out there, and they are definitely viable. So uh, I would say people should do that uh, as quickly as possible. Dan Lyman, if people want to follow your work online or be in touch with you, tell us how, please. Uh, you can always find my work at Infowars.com, BorderHawk.News, and you can find me on Twitter at RealDanLyman and BorderHawkNews. Dan Lyman, thank you so much for the work you continue to do. And thank you very much for joining us today on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Rob. That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast 
by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time. <laughs>